everybody, and welcome to the Cinema Catch-Up Club, the podcast for films that you probably should have seen by now. I'm your host, Stephen Platt. Thank you very much for downloading this week's episode. And this week, it's the first of three trilogy films. That's right, over the next three weeks, it's our annual trip to Trilogy Town. Population, us! (laughs) Uh, We have asked you at home, what trilogy would you like to see? And you chose the Indiana Jones trilogy. And just to be clear... Not Crystal Skull. <laughs> Some people were very specific that it's the first three films and not Crystal Skull. So all the Crystal Skull fans out there will get to it another time. I believe that was me that was very specific on that. <laughs> uh, yes, you were. Joining us as our guest who has seen the first of these films, uh, which is, of course, Raiders of the Lost Ark. Uh, our guest who has seen the film it is Simon Haynes. How are you, Simon? This podcast belongs in a museum. Oh no! I mean, it's look—it's four years oh, sorry, old. Sorry, that's two. That's two moves ahead. It is also ah. this podcast is four years old. That's it, it, by podcasting terms, it probably does by now. Yeah, it's <laughs> relatively ancient. Thank you very much. I'm a little bit tired. I've had a full day of photography, and I am ready to see some Indiana Jones action. Excellent. Yes, and uh, just for the folks at home, uh, Simon is a cosplayer mm-hmm. um, in in one of his various. Um, uh, identities <laughs> and uh, appeared today in uh, what can only be described as a bit of a Dr. Jones chic. Yeah, I did rock the leather jacket and the fedora and the whip. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for, for Indiana Jones, not for any other thing. Yes, now it is the first time you've brought a weapon to one of these things. No, so. no. One day I'll bring the proton pack. Excellent. Uh, and joining us for the first of three episodes, because as is traditional, our guest who has not seen the film will be joining us for the entire trilogy. Please welcome. Kate O'Sullivan. Hi, I feel embarrassed that I haven't seen this trilogy, but here we are. That's We're okay. fixing this problem. We certainly are. Mm. Hey, Kate, can, yeah. I, can I tell you something? What? I also haven't seen this trilogy. Yes. Oh! Not alone, not alone, yes. not alone. I've got to take your nerd car away. No, that's just <laughs> not, not, As the representative of this... Uh, no, that's cool. It, no gatekeeping it, the nerd community. Yeah. No, no, um, it's, that's cool. I'm actually really glad to be here on this journey for both of you, because let's be pretty honest, mm. this is the best one of the lot. Not okay. to say it goes downhill. They're mm. really all really good films, and I wouldn't have suggested them otherwise. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so Kate, I, I'll be able to share my own experience yeah. of not watching these films, but let's start with you. Um, how have you not seen Indiana Jones? <laughs> that's disgraceful. I think it's, I mean, I like a lot of the films, I think, that I that I do on this podcast it's just that i've missed them like it's it's i i know of them they usually exist in the zeitgeist of my friend circle (laughs) if not pop culture in general and i just never did Mm. like you know i'm sure there were evenings when people like we're gonna go watch red of the lost ark i'm like cool i've got rehearsals for a show i'm doing Mm. so i'm not coming or whatever what do you know about um the trilogy in general uh, well, hilariously, uh, last Wednesday I asked a question. No, on Wednesday I asked a question at the trivia night that I host <laughs> about Indiana Jones, okay. and was just sitting there being like, "Hmm, still haven't seen that film." <laughs> so, what was the question? Uh, Do you yes, that's a good question. I think it was about John Williams actually, oh, okay. and about who wrote the music. Mm. Um, I think. Well, it was John Williams, yes. Yeah. Mm. So, I, I think that's what the question was. I can't. Yeah. Oh, so quite that's remember. actually quite a relatively easy one. It's just called. Well, maybe yeah, it was John Williams think... has written music for some famous yeah. films. Yeah. Name you think Spielberg, you think George Lucas. John Williams isn't, you know, not that far behind. Mm. Yeah. Um, and I mean, I also know full well that he, I mean, 
he's, he's an archaeologist. <laughs> my, my science card is being taken away right mm. now as much as anything. Uh, uh, let me leave you of one thing. This movie has really no basis in science. Mm. I, I am somewhat aware. Yeah. 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 Um, so. But no, I, th- I think it's one of those things where Indiana Jones is in the pop culture mm. bubble. It's just that sometimes you don't get to see the thing That's yeah look, as as i have also not seen these films i i have only seen one indiana jones film oh you've only seen crystal skull i have only seen the crystal oh, skull. See, i haven't even seen crystal skull I've so you're zero. in for a good ride yes okay i'm a defender of crystal skull yeah i really acknowledge it's not the best one yeah um so uh, my own experience with indie is never saw the original trilogy mm. 2008 i'm a second year film student i think that's fair enough a uh, bunch of my friends go hey there's a new indiana jones coming out and we don't know it's bad yet do you want to come <laughs> see it and so i said you know what sure and i sat there and i watched it and i had an okay time <laughs> like i didn't i didn't hate it i didn't walk out there going Ugh, i've been my, been soiled because i didn't have any any memory of yeah. these older films no it is a relatively okay film but it's it, not terrible but, but it also didn't great. make me want to go and watch these films yeah um and one of the reasons that this podcast even exists is because I haven't seen Indiana Jones. Whenever oh. it, it, th- this program is designed for for people to come and access those films that they've never seen, and it's designed for you to have a safe space where it's like you haven't seen Ghostbusters. Here's an episode. We're going to help you out. That kind of thing. Yeah, you know who you're going to come to for that one. <laughs> oh yeah. Uh, who am I going to call? Hmm. Uh, but... Probably the two of us. Look, <laughs> we'll, we'll and, see. And that's another movie with du- dubious science. Films I also haven't seen. Um, mm. which again is yeah mm-hmm. but it's it's okay though because we're not we're not gonna shame Let's anyone for this yeah. <laughs> yeah, we don't shame but yeah having having not seen the indiana jones trilogy i'm really looking forward to to getting into it because of how beloved they are mm. to kind of see what all the fuss is about and also because that's it, kind of the point of this program and it's taken me 200 plus episodes <laughs> to actually get around to the film series that i was meant to watch so um, I'm very excited. Um, Simon, Raiders specifically. Okay. Mm. What can Kate and I, and anyone else that hasn't seen Raiders of the Lost Ark, what, what can we expect without, you know, spoiling anything? You're in for a fun adventure ride. It's got a dashing hero. It's got a great um, female co-lead. It's got Nazi punching. It's got a great villain. I'm not sure how... It's been a while. It's been a few years since I've seen this, so I'm not sure how dated it's become. Mm. But, like, the special effects are really good. It's practical. There's lots of fun. There's lots of Easter eggs. There's some suspense. There's some drama. It's overall an incredibly solid film. Okay. And I'm not saying that in the way of thing. It is one of those movies that's... I think it's in, like, several best 100 movies of all time kind of lists. This is genuinely a really great film. Mm. Not the best film not the perfectest film but genuinely really enjoyable all right well with all that being said shall we watch raiders of the lost ark let's do it let's, let's get cracking let's start this trilogy for those of you at home pop in your dvds load up those streaming services and throw us the idol as we throw you the whip <laughs> we're gonna watch raiders of the lost ark i really hope that's from this film that is from this okay, film. <laughs> Welcome back, everybody. We have just finished watching Raiders of the Lost Ark. And by we, I of course mean Mr. Simon Haynes. Hello again. And uh, the First Lady of Science herself, Kate O'Sullivan. <laughs> hey, uh, so uh, how did you enjoy the science in this? 
<laughs> I mean, I told you. Yeah, I, I warned you. No, you did. Yes. You did. Kate, this was your first time watching Raiders of the Lost Ark. What did you think? I mean, I can see why people love it. Do I feel any urge to go out and watch it again immediately? No, but that doesn't mean it's not good. It just, um, I can, I can definitely see why it's one of those things that everyone assumes you've seen mm. when you're of a certain age, for sure. Yeah. Um, it, it is interesting watching it as a first time viewer as well. Mm. And just seeing how many, oh, I know what that is. Oh, yeah. oh I know what that is. And there's, there's so many moments like that. But the thing that, I, I don't know if you found this, there's a few moments where it's like, oh, that's not in this one then. Like there's a few other moments. <laughs> yeah. And I think I will have, I'll be like, oh, that's from this one over yeah. the next two films. Yeah. So, yeah. um, yeah, Simon, when did you last watch Raiders? It's got to be at least five, six years ago. Mm. It's maybe closer to ten, but at least five, six years ago. It's not one of my repeat viewings, but I, it's one of those... This is one of those movie series I just deeply enjoy because mm. it is fun. It's not. It's really not meant to be taken seriously, and it's full of jokes. And, yeah, one I like indie as a hero because he's not indestructible he's always taking the hits he's always the brunt of the joke and it's that's why i love the yeah he's not james bonding it which is yes yeah even though he was inspired he was inspired by james bond like uh, spielberg and lucas wanted him to be basically the american james bond to the point where that's why essentially why they hired sean connery to be his dad Hmm. yeah so Uh, trivia for two weeks now yeah yeah for for a future film um so, it it is enjoyable. Like yeah. I, I like as a first time viewer, I sat yeah. there and I went, "This is fun." Um, but Kate, I don't know if you found this. It's it's a bit crap. Like like <laughs> it's like, yeah. Let's go with it's definitely shows its age. Yes. Yeah. Now now a film can be crap and still be a good film if yeah. you get what I mean. Like yeah. like it's still enjoyable. Like I sat there and I went, you know what. I'm really enjoying these scenes, but but it's uh, overall as a film, I, I was like, oh, this is this is not terribly impressive. No, and I don't even know that it would have. Well, I mean, maybe it was at the time. Mm. This was like for context, like during this time, like this was like the beginning of the big blockbuster era. Yeah. So like this, this in like movies, like say. Um, well, even like Spielberg. Spielberg had only done like a couple of movies before this, like Jaws, uh, Close Encounters, I think just slightly predates this. He had done, I think maybe, I'm not sure if he'd done 1941 just beforehand. So this is like, Spielberg was still very much an early filmmaker in this. And this is one of the first time he did the big blockbuster effects driven movie. And yeah, it's it stumbles. It's got some plot. It's got yeah. some plot inconsistencies, but... I do I, think it's the sum of its whole is better than the parts. I think that, that the problem is possibly, and we remarked <laughs> yes. on it, some lack of cultural sensitivity. Well, yeah. I mean, there's one woman in the film at yeah. all. I mean, wasn't technically the, the, the Nazi monkey female? I don't, I don't think that Let's not assume it's gender I, yeah, hmm. I don't I, I, know that the gender of the monkey Particularly <laughs> matters in the context Of the story Okay, no, that's fair um, I, I think it runs up against A lot of things that if this film were To be created today Would be 
problems well, it that has, the audience wouldn't be happy with. It has almost two cultural barriers in regards to era because it was a it's a movie made in the 1980s set in set the in 1930s, 1930s yeah. and it is emerging a lot of uh, early Hollywood pulp. Uh, this is a problem I'll get into when it comes to something like Crystal Skull, which was supposed to be a bit more about the science fiction era, but it really isn't. And, but this one is very much like it's like Flash Gordon. It's um, but it, it's it's almost like you know I'm having a bad I, I the, the the bad guy quote unquote aside from the Nazis <laughs> aside from the Nazis yeah. <laughs> the Belgians <laughs> Which is just, when when you say the bad guy aside from the Nazis that's a sentence in and of itself <laughs> um, it, you're like why do you hate each other aside from you get the things I want first yeah, like, yeah. I don't why do you, what I mean. Part part of me does enjoy the fact that there's clearly a backstory there and they mm. feel no need to explain it mm. because I think, as Simon says, it really is, even as a first-time viewer, very clearly evoking those, like, 1930s adventure yeah. films that, where where the hero was just a guy that punched things and the damsel in distress was definitely a damsel in a white dress and Marion's in two white dresses in this film and is pretty much constantly in distress. But she was in such good pants. Like, I don't... Even to the point where I remarked on the pants. And they were great pants. I'm not not denying that. But I I guess it's more that it, it feels... It feels important and, and certainly, like archetypal it's playing yes. with archetypes yes. and that has both positives and negatives and negative, yeah. like the positives are oh yeah of course they meet the british expat type <laughs> figure in in john reese davis's character who yeah. i think is actually meant to be or originally was meant to be an egyptian character he, he was meant to be an egyptian yeah. character but and they then cast british yeah they, they they were like oh no but we really like john reese davis so they were like you know what we'll just make him a weird mix of the two yeah. so his name is salah but he loves gilbert and sullivan like you know <laughs> that kind of thing <laughs> i love so i love salah right? yeah i don't know there's things like that where i'm just yeah. like i feel like i just got smacked with a we wrote a script and then we didn't quite do what mm. we wrote or what we quite intended to do. Well, this was originally written by George Lucas, and I can't remember the other one. And it was adapted for the screen by Lawrence Kasdan, uh, who also did uh, the screenplay for Empire Strikes Back. So mm. there's, a, there's a lot of that um, intermesh of pedigree between Lucas mm. and uh, Spielberg. So sure. it's become one of those properties where it's hard to divorce which one is Spielberg and which one is Lucas kind of orientated stuff. Mm. Uh, I mean... Having said that, and I'm sure some people were very annoyed that we've we've <laughs> we've had a bit of a go at it. It's, I can see why people like it. Like yeah. I can totally see the merit in the film. Yeah. I just think we're what we're doing it. You know, we're having a chat about it. Yeah, no, that's but, that's perfectly valid. But it but it is it is enjoyable in a it ticks along nicely kind of way. So obviously this was massively influential on a lot of things that followed and specifically for me i was having a lot of moments from my past of playing certain video games that deal with um (laughs) outrageous archaeologists if we didn't have Raiders of the lost ark we wouldn't have tomb raider no and from tomb raider we wouldn't have uncharted yeah and like there were specific like set pieces like the the under the truck set piece where i'm like i'm pretty sure i've done something similar with nathan drake like those kind of things (laughs) and like like they are fun set pieces and the film is just set piece to set piece yeah. to set piece and mm. that's okay mm. um and i think if you're looking at it as a film like that like today a, a, an equivalent would be something like the fast and the furious films mm. very different stylistically but they are essentially 
set piece to set piece to set piece. It's mm. just that they're themed around cars, whereas this is themed around like uh, daring do adventure, fists, whips, and snakes. So movies with Mikey just did a really good breakdown of the last uh, Mission Impossible, which was Fallout, the one with Henry Cavell's starring, sorry, co-starring Henry Cavell's mustache. Yeah, and how it's a matter of. Um, it's never a matter that the hero should be able to achieve their goal flawlessly. That doesn't make for good cinema. So you're always putting in goals and obstacles. Mm-hmm. You set a goal, you set the stakes, you set an obstacle. And then the, when the hero is just about to reach that goal, you set another obstacle. It's all about setback. It's about playing with the thing and emotional rises and depths and ebbs and flows and this movie is great for that because as soon as you think oh yeah Indy's gonna do it he gets knocked down and then he has to get back up again and you're never gonna keep him down I'm sorry I just turned it into tub thumping I like that about this kind of movie it's just it's never about the hero does all the smart moves because yeah I, I think I said it's Indiana Jones is an intellectual but he's not very smart yeah I mean I just I guess it's moments though like you could have just untied her hands yeah and she could have saved herself and I'm like yeah but then we wouldn't have got the coat hanger scene, which is one of the classic moments in this movie. True. Oh, it's such an evil coat hanger. It's, yeah. it's a great misdirect. Yeah, I think they found the prop and they were, I think that was entirely improvised by the actor who plays Toth, whose name escapes me at the moment. Um, but it was just that thing where he, you know, he got it out and he tightens it very menacingly and then puts the hook on and gets, gives it to his guy to put the jacket on. It's just... Good, mm. and their reaction is just like, "Oh God, he's gonna murder us!" Yeah, because uh, Toth is just that character. Yeah, uh, uh, Ronald Lacey plays yes. um, uh, Major Arnold uh, Toth, um, yeah. a sadistic Gestapo agent, as yeah. he's uh, listed here. That, that tracks. Yeah, description. Yeah, <laughs> um, I'm gonna say, great movie Nazis in terms yeah. of like in terms of your comic book villain type. Mm. Yeah portrayal of of um of, of like nazis as goons yeah um it's it's good and i think that it's i always think it's really interesting how i think it's really interesting looking at particular creators relationship with certain historical figures and mm. for so for example spielberg with nazis yes because uh, obviously you know he makes this film he makes Schindler's List. Yes. Very different approach. <laughs> oh, yes. Yeah. But it's it's kind of interesting how, I, I think, looking at someone like him who has the capacity within his films to, to make big sort of changes in tone from, you know, oh, they're people that we just need to get shot and have their faces <laughs> melt at the end to obviously Schindler's List. Whereas you look at somebody like, say, Mel Brooks, who they mm. are always there... It's a lampoon. To, it's to, always to, a lampoon. To have the piss taken out of. Yeah. But like, you know, Mel Brooks, I mean, probably because Mel Brooks never really went and made a serious film, but he never tried to do anything that looked at them in a different light. And I just think it's really interesting looking at how they're portrayed in this, because I think it's really clear that has been massively influential on oh, yeah. the portrayal of, um, of, of Nazis in film since then. Mm. Yeah, I even think down to that, the remark that's made towards the end of the film about would, do you really want to be the person who takes this all the way back to to Berlin and <laughs> mm. then we open it and then it's not there? Mm. Yeah. You know, I think you're like, oh, well, no, that's that's a fair, that's a fair shout right yeah. about there. But, but yeah. that also really highlights Balok's own agenda. Just, he doesn't yeah. give a sh- 
he literally does not give a shit about the Nazis. He isn't it for his own the mm. greed. No, for sure. But I think it is yeah. it is that that, yes. that is the button that you press mm. to yeah. get them to do what you want. To do what you want. Yeah. Is yeah. interesting. Uh, let's talk about Harrison Ford because uh, he <laughs> obviously is the star. He he is Indiana Jones, um, and he spends a lot of time in this film uh, either scared, <laughs> hiding from things. Punching people, getting punched, or... Burning just... danger noodles. Yeah, yeah, and, and burning danger noodles, fighting snakes. So, um, just a quick bit of trivia. A lot of those snakes were, in fact, real, including the cobra. Yep. There was actually a piece of glass uh, put in front between Harrison Ford and the cobra and uh, Karen Allen. And it's only if you look closely in one scene, you can actually see the glass in the uh, sand. They now, try to cover it, but it's next to impossible. Yeah. Now, through watching this film, Kay, I've established that you're not a big fan of snakes. Look... I, I like little snakes. I have happily handled certain types of little snakes. Mm-hmm. I, d- I do not like giant danger noodles. Like, mm. let's let's mm. be fair. Ones that could... No. Um, no. Yeah. I, you know, venomous snakes are not my favourite thing in the world. No, that's fair. Yeah, I'm an arachnophobic, so like... The, I also don't like spiders. That, 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 that scene was not my happy place either. Yeah, but... well, I, I mean, I'm afraid of Alfred Molina, so I really that's didn't fair. like that scene. <laughs> that's fair, that's um, fair. But, but yeah, it was... Um, I just think it's really interesting, this this portrayal by by Harrison Ford of Indy, because you're watching it and you're just going... For, for me, at least, I found I was going, yep, he is hitting this, this character archetype absolutely perfectly. Mm. Like like in terms of playing this this sort of rugged and dare I say problematic uh leading figure and I wouldn't use the word hero to describe it no <laughs> um but yeah this this protagonist um he he is really really good yeah I think he is and I think what's really interesting is I wonder like at the at the time that this film came out mm. you either had your sort of um Casablanca type rugged mm. hero type like the Bogart like exactly you didn't really have the action hero in mm. the same way as we get here because yeah. you either had the clean cut action and hero the 80s were the birth of the action hero so yeah. but like from this you got the Schwarzenegger Stallone archetypes I mean even like First Blood is like a vastly different movie to every other Rambo movie you know Mm. Rambo in First Blood is a lot more vulnerable character then he becomes a jingoistic action hero and mm. so it's funny because like like this is more on the scale of like say uh, John McClane from Die Hard a guy who gets punched a guy who bleeds well so this is what I was going to say was that um, it strikes me as I wonder what it would be like to watch this film then before yeah. we have films like Die Hard yeah. but where... even even in this he's still not vulnerable he, he no, takes no, but his that's... punches, but that's uh, the difference between him and a John McClane. No, and, and, and but that moment yeah. of being like, so therefore, what? Yeah. What does an audience then who hasn't seen well the I... the types that we've seen subsequently? Mm. You think back to this, people only knew Harrison Ford as Han Solo. So... I mean, I can. It, it, there are bits of this that smack of oh, Han yeah. Solo, though. Yeah. I, I think when you've got someone who's kind of charismatic, <laughs> at least back then, was like so charismatic, you can't mm. just because Indy wasn't really supposed to be. As charming as Harrison Ford made him out to be. Yeah, I think charming, it, sleazy. Yeah, yeah. yeah but, I mean, there is a certain likability to him. When we were watching this and we were commenting, you know, if this was being made now, Chris yeah. Pratt would be playing yeah. his part. Yeah. Like, like Chris Pratt is someone who absolutely is like perfect for a character like Star Lord, mm. who is 
kind of another version of this Indiana Jones yes. type character. Yeah. Yeah. And so it just feels like Harrison Ford was exactly the right actor at the mm. right time to play this. And he's he's very watching. He's he's very uh, compelling. Com- He's very compelling yeah. to, to, to watch. watch. Yeah, uh, he does the action scenes well. He he does the he he he's very good at the shit eating grin. <laughs> like yeah. when he's in that scene bumping people with the truck. Yeah, and he's just like, <laughs> <laughs> like like you believe that he's really enjoying. I that. mean, to How be fair, you? he probably was really yeah. enjoying himself. Yeah. so he he does he does a fabulous job there, but he's he's absolutely not a hero. No, um, he. You know, for, for starters, um, he, he works at a university. And as someone who works at a university, I'm just going to say, we're not heroes, guys. Someone who also works... No, no. No, no. no. But throughout this entire thing, he is incredibly self-centred about the entire arc thing, even mm. up to the point where he brings out the bazooka to, you know, save Marion. And he couldn't bring himself mm. to do the right thing yeah. to stop the Nazis because he's still that much of a jerk. He also, well, no, hang on, hang on. Well, he's an archaeologist. He's yeah. saving the thing that, he's been look- that they've been looking yeah. for. Yeah. The hero, to a certain degree, probably might have taken the yes. shot. The hero probably also wouldn't have tried to have saved this woman that he apparently likes with yeah. a bazooka. Like, yeah. he, would have, <laughs> yes. he would have picked a less uh, I told, ranged I, weapon. As yeah. I said... Intellectual, not smart. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, but so, so he's he's this. But he's also, you know, he's an he's an archaeologist, um, which is fine. That's Allegedly, an okay trade. but th- his form of archaeology seems to be working with his mate Marcus, just finding things for the museum yeah. and just taking them and bringing them in, which I'm sure was common archaeological practice at the time. But looking at it, certainly with a 2021 viewpoint where we're sort of reassessing how certain institutions... Yeah, the timing of this particular film is uh, yeah. is interesting <laughs> given the current climate. But yeah, yeah, yeah. It's it, but it, but I think so. So there's a couple of like contemporary issues which affect that. Mm. But then on top of that, he's he's he, also just a bit of a terrible archaeologist. Yeah. Yes. Like, so so I suppose this is a good time to bring in what, what the, the science, science? <laughs> with Kato Sullivan uh, archaeology on film. Um, we we saw it with uh, the Super Mario Bros. film a couple of weeks ago. <laughs> We saw some archaeology in that with the burn pit. What I want to know is, is the archaeology in Indiana Jones better or worse than Super Mario Bros? It's better. Okay. <laughs> because occasionally he gets out an appropriately sized brush. Right. Yeah. Um, I, I still stand by, I don't know that uh, pry bars is the way that you would get open um, something that you thought potentially might have something incredibly valuable, valuable inside. Yeah. Um, or that you do all of that overnight. Yeah. Or that you do it with pickaxes. Like, I, there's mm. some things where I'm like, hmm. That it, appears to just be sand. There has been I'd a lot of... Um, room. There mm. has been a lot of critique over Indiana Jones in the last a few decades, obviously. And yeah, a lot of people are just there going, he's not an archaeologist, he's a grave robber. Yeah, mm. I think that's, that's the thing. He is effectively a... La- <laughs> to quote what a friend of mine said... The, the only other day. difference between him and Balok is that he works in a museum and... The movie frames that he's a land pirate. He was doing it so he could, you know, enrich the world with the museum. Yeah, he. he, But it's he's still doing it for money because he even go talks to Marx about funding his stuff. He's a land pirate. Like that's that's one hundred percent who. Like he's one of those people who goes in, takes stuff, and kind of does it for the betterment of humanity (laughs) in massive inverted. Commas, yeah. you know, no, it's, well, well, I mean, I don't uh, think he even really tries to hide that. Like, he's mm. pretty much always talking about the money. Like, at the end, when the US Army 
are like, so this is all good. He's like, well, I'm happy with the money, but yeah. I'm not happy with the fact that I don't get to keep the toy. You know, yeah, that kind of thing. I it's, mean, yeah. I mean, and you start with, I need $2,000 to go to Marrakesh. Like, it's, you yeah. know, whatever. Yeah. And that's $2,000 in 1936. That's I'm also a, he never goes to Marrakesh. <laughs> never bothers to go after the thing he steals in the first, you know, 10 minutes of the film. Yeah. Oh, the new shinier toy got flown in front yeah. of Yeah. I mean, I also think... Well, Balak's dead now. He can just go and steal it back, I guess. Mm. I also think that um, we... I said very early on in the film, I was like, mm, a bunch of archaeologists do not like you because you have set up your profession, this profession in a way that mm. is incorrect. Mm. And uh, it's the um, equivalent of the CSI, NCIS effect on forensics mm. yeah. now. It's the... Oh, yeah, this inspired a lot of archaeology. Yeah. And then inspired a lot of people to draw, withdraw Drop from archaeology. their archaeology <laughs> yeah. after two weeks. Exactly. Yeah. But this was kind of indicative of archaeology how's at least how it was seen turn of the century the um the reveal of like the tombs in cairo the mummy in the pyramids i should say and there's that thing of like oh you know we're gonna go and get all these things it's like yeah it's shit but the like, but it's they it's, were shitty people it's a representation of that feeling but yeah. it's not actually a representation of from a from a what the science perspective it's not yeah. a representation of the job mm. or yeah. the science that is being done while we're also on science can we just discuss the light uh, the scene with the the the, 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 the little amulet on the stick. I mean, I will say there Man, was a ge- that sun moves so quickly. Mm. I was gonna say, well, that's that I that I have less of a problem with, um, mostly because it's going through a small hole, yeah, yeah, and yeah. sure, mm. sunsets prove that depending on where you are in the world. The the issue I more have is so we have we have a, a lens because we have a gem okay I'm, I'm with you so why did it get so much brighter all of a sudden mm. this was this was this very impressive lens yeah. this is doing some amazing light multiplication mm. I can photons. answer that mm. Hollywood yeah uh. I mean yeah but like that's that's sort of the point yeah, right yeah. like it's it's uh, this is yeah. one of those kind of turn your brain off to reality moments it's just. Yes, but that's not my job on this I podcast. No, we, we did ask what the science, we didn't I, ask what I'm the not escapism. A sci- yeah, I'm like, not a scientist, I'm more of a media critic. So. Yeah, no, and I mean, I think this is the thing. I, I will fully admit that there are moments in film where I'm like, ha, science, dang it. But yeah. I, that doesn't necessarily, doesn't necessarily take away from my enjoyment of the film. Yeah. There are some films where that is mm. the case. Yeah, I knew but. there was going to be the big supernatural thing at the end. That's why I even turned around and said, like, don't think that this is going to oh, be scientifically and, like, and to be fair, I did. I didn't. I like that is a thing that I know about yeah. Indiana Jones. Mm. Um, but it was more my brain being like, hmm, fine, you're close, but you're far enough away that it's annoying. Mm. <laughs> yeah. Um, also, we should bring up. Uh, I I just don't get why Marion remains into Indiana Jones. No. Like she was so mad at him at the start of the film, say you know, saying like, "I was a child. How dare you take advantage of me?" And it's like, "Whoa, okay, for starters, yeah. we that's not cool." But then secondly, um, you've also got the fact that she just after he burns down her place of work <laughs> and brings literal Nazis to her, gets her kidnapped. Yeah, like, yep. I'm like. This is a, the, you, do you want a red flag? There's a giant one with a swastika on it. Yeah, like, yeah, like they're no. all over the place. He and like, she just constantly gets shat on in this film, hmm. and it's. 
basically almost always Indy's fault. He drops a snake on her, which admittedly is funny, but yeah. but still, like, you know, he drops a snake yeah. on her, she gets entombed alive, she ends up in two supposedly nice white dresses, but personally I was... The, the, Fiona Shaw wouldn't have gone anywhere near no. them. Yeah, so um, <laughs> absolutely not interested in that. Um, I, I just was like, Marion, why do you care about Indy? He is a bad dude yeah i'm like that the, the the scene of the like doing all the wound care i'm like yeah. no just pour pour pure like grain alcohol on him and <laughs> like let him let I, him hurt i do <laughs> like the fact that indy just falls asleep it's this big romantic movie if he'd been a bit cheesier or you know and you know he would there would be the passionate embrace and just the fact that he's just like uh, i am the, you know he's literally literally being dragged through the 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 dirt and the thing and he's at the gun rune shot and yeah he's yeah, just gonna heal you just wanna slide down heal yeah but fine but she still should have poured great oh, alcohol yeah. over that, yeah, totally yeah that ship probably <laughs> has a doctor they could yeah. just let the ship's doctor do it like it probably would have been a better job it wouldn't as romantic this bit doesn't hurt oh, <laughs> I just wanna slap you mm. I, I'm sorry Harrison Ford but you earned a slap in that moment not yeah. a yeah, so yeah, I just that 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 was a pretty constant annoyance. Where I was like, Marion, once you've got your money, just just get out of there, just just get out. But she does have some. At least she has some proto-feminist uh, moments. Uh, not for feminism. No, no, but, I, yes, I, but proto. Like it's like not quite layer, but not quite. Oh, the next one. Mm. I think I think the thing that I struggle with is because she is such a strongly independent woman who don't need no man mm-hmm. yeah. at the start of the film. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And she falls apart. And I'm like, you were so good. Yeah, Why are you now so crap? She's winning drinking competitions. She's got bright red pants. Like, she, you know, she, she, she knows what she's doing. And by the end of the film, she's in her second white dress tied to a stake, like being told, don't look at it. And her eyes are almost opening. And it's so, like, that, that just doesn't feel like the same character. No. And Smiling when Harrison Ford is pointing a rocket launcher at her while she's surrounded by Nazis. It's, your, it's his fault that you're in this situation. And now he might blow you up. Like... I was I was fully still on board with like making friends with monkeys, running around. Like after that, where did she go? Where did the character go? She went poof. I'll be honest. The ending is one of the only things I have an issue with in this movie. Like, Mm. okay, for a movie that actually has a lot of good setup and payoff, this movie gets nitpicked to hell and back because like people like say Adam Savage, huge fan, so it ends up being MythBusters. They Mm. tested a ton of these things, but then there's like. Oh, but how does how did Indiana Jones survive the submarine uh, submerging? I, mean, I, I did we ask never, that question of we myself. Never, okay, so for starters, a we never actually see the submarine submerge. No, submarines can run without being submerged. They don't always have to be. Hmm. Uh, and I think someone asked uh, Spielberg or Lucas, and he's like, "Oh, he, he tied the whip around his waist and clung to the thing." And it's just like, "Yeah, that sounds like bullshit." But the thing where it comes to the Ark of the Covenant, they never actually establish why they need to close their eyes. It's just one of those things that Indy just goes, close your eyes, Marion, and don't open them no matter what. And it's like, why? Oh, apparently all the Nazis, apparently one of those Nazis just didn't go, oh, cover my eyes. Mm. Or they didn't have like, I mean, it probably makes sense, but there wasn't like someone who was vision impaired working (laughs) for the Nazi party. (laughs) Which, yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, got... that's a whole other issue. I feel that is a whole other. Issue. Well, yeah, yeah. the yeah. Nazis are famous for their inclusivity. That's true. You know what? That's my bad. <laughs> <laughs> but um, so and it's also not explained how he knows that that's what they that's, need to that's, do. That's yeah. what I meant. It's mm. like mm. I just, it never occurred to me. Like ten times in a few years ago, I was like, 
wait, how did Indy know? Because it's never established. And I've watched this several times now going, mm-hmm. no, it's never established. Like, oh, they explain at the beginning. No, no they, don't. they don't. What do you make of the criticism of this film, which is one that I was aware of coming into it, which is that the events of this film would still happen if Indiana Jones hadn't Yes, <laughs> I love that. Like, the Nazis would have still found the Ark. They would have taken it to their weird island temple. They would have opened it. They would have melted. And how Indy essentially just sort of slows that process down by like a couple of days. And actually ends up with the Ark in a in not the place that it would have been left and not known about yeah. where to get it. So and it's, that, now it's put in storage. Yeah. So that criticism, criticism also ends at the logical conclusion that, well, if they didn't have done that, Hitler would have gotten the Ark of the Covenant and Hitler would have died and therefore preventing the war. The problem with that is it's a movie. Mm. I mean, arguably... If, it, if people didn't act stupid in a movie, we wouldn't have movies. That's true. I mean, ultimately, based on the course of events of this film, the Ark would have probably just been on this island in Greece. Yeah. I mean, or yeah. never found. Yes. Yeah. Because they were digging but in they... the wrong place. That's true. Yeah. I th- but true, but, you know, give them enough spades. They would sure, have found but like, you know eventually. what I mean. Like, yeah. 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 I don't a million know. typewriters and a million monkeys. Yeah. Sure. I, was, I was curious to see how it would play out because yeah. I have heard that criticism. <laughs> But and this is the same kind of criticism where people turn around and say the um, second DeLorean theory in Back to the Future 3, where it's just like, well, why don't they just use the second DeLorean to patch the first DeLorean back up and use the fuel on that one to go back into 1985? Mm. Because you won't have a movie. Yeah, yeah, that's fair. That is, honestly, from a critical analysis point of view, yes. I'm, I'm, a, I'm a fan of stupid things happen to move it along as long as they're resolved smartly. Yeah. So, so why didn't Indiana Jones use the second DeLorean in this film? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, because he was too busy flying the Millennium Falcon to blow up the Death Star. Ah, okay, cool, cool, cool. Um, one thing we haven't spoken about, and I can't believe we've got this far into the program without speaking about it, is the opening of the film, which is basically just like, this is yes. the, the mission statement for what Indiana Jones yes. is. You know, it's him, Alfred Molina, and a bunch of other guys. They're, they're raiding a temple, they're... There's a bunch of traps. There's like some weird corpses on the traps. There's tarantulas. There's death noodles. He does the whole gold bag of sand thing. He runs away from a giant boulder. The yeah. darts. Oh, there was a snake in the plane. Like yeah. that. That that was everything that I knew about Indiana Jones wrapped yeah. up. In I was like going to say, I will 100% say I did not think that was going to be the first 15 minutes of the film. Yeah. <laughs> like <laughs> that does not feel like it should be. I said to you before. Over and done in 10 minutes. Yeah. I said to you guys off mic that this is one I consider one of the most, not the most perfect game, but this is a perfect introduction to a character because mm. it's, it's got some good mystery. So you don't, if you didn't go into this culturally knowing the zeitgeist stuff of Indiana Jones, you don't know who the guy in the hat and the whip is and all that stuff. Yeah. So, unless you've looked at the poster, we won't go into that. And so it's one of those things of like, you're getting this kind of mystery build up to this guy. And then his first action is to whip the guy that's about to kill him. So you know he's got, this guy's got a bit of mystique and a bit of badass, and he's got that look on his face of don't mess with me. And then, you know, he's, got, he's built up all this thing of like, he's this very competent guy. He knows what he's doing. And then things start going wrong for him, which is a great indie thing. Mm. And then, it, you know, it's the ups and downs. Again, um, obstacles, uh, delays. And then it finally ends with him you know, being afraid of snakes. And it's a, it's an incredibly humanizing moment for this guy that's had such this build-up, this badass, and also it's like, he's afraid of snakes and he mm. acts a bit like a girl when he's doing Oi. it. It's, 
I find that offensive. As no, a girl, but in the context of the movie. In the context of the movie. You have a badass girl in this movie. We I have, have a badass girl sentence. in this movie. Yeah. No, we can say he acts like a very, very scared man. person. Yeah. <laughs> it's just one of those things like, it's just, it's such a great introduction scene. And yeah, and he, he, you know, in the back of your head, this guy has got vulnerability, which is a yeah. really interesting. He has, flaws, yeah. he has this interesting uh, dynamic to him. Like he has a thing that he's afraid of. How many times are like James Bond? He's shaken but not stirred. Yeah, you no, know, it's it's a bit lame. That's true. Yeah, yeah. they they. they I, I think you are right. I think it is a really excellent introduction yeah. to this character, and I, I can also see why. It has been mimicked so often. Mm. Like I was just thinking about all the times on The Simpsons where, yeah. where I've seen these things mimicked and, and things like that, and going, "Oh yeah, no, I can see why this this really launched." And it's it's sort of interesting talking about the the action hero thing as well. That I, yeah, this this really is sort of the start of the action hero in that sort of blockbuster movie sense because mm. prior to this, you've really only sort of got Star Wars, and even then, they're not. You know, Luke Skywalker and even Han Solo aren't mm. like traditional action heroes. Rambo First Blood is a year after this. Yeah. Uh, Schwarzenegger breaking out in Conan is a year after this. Yeah. So, like, it was clearly something that was in the mm, water in the at pipeline. the time. And by previous that, you had a lot of 70s heroes, which were like Clint Eastwood's, your mm. um, uh, Steve McQueen's and stuff like that. Yeah. So they were tended to be a bit more down to earth. They weren't the big muscle guys. But even they never kind of, like, you know, they might have broke a sweat, but they never mm. got bloody, they never got injured. Yeah, to be honest, the only other one I can think of that would predate this would be The Man With No Name. Yes. Mm. But but um, that sort of almost feels like it's a different yeah. archetype um, yeah. of, of, I suppose, a hero. Mm. Yeah. I, I also think that the intro to this... You start to see. I'm thinking about more modern Bond films, more modern action yeah. in, introductions to characters. You get this same setup yeah, yeah. in a lot of those. Of the stuff is happening. Mm. Whip around face, like yeah. facial of so, the sort of like the start of um, Skyfall, where yeah. I believe that's the one where Daniel Craig as James Bond is running across the rooftops and yeah, uh, ends scene. up that that is like a really great ten minute action sequence. And it ends with him accidentally getting shot by um, Money Penny and falling into the river. I was even thinking of um, Casino Brosnan Royale. in whichever oh, the one yeah. is with the di- with the diamond face as well. Oh, like, Die Another yeah. Day was horrible. But like, yeah, you're right though. That's exactly it's the what same. It is. That's that's the one that sticks in my head yeah. because it's the. Um, Brosnan always wanted to add a bit more vulnerability to Bond, but he wasn't allowed to. But mm. by the time they got to Daniel Craig, they were like, yeah, we need to do something to modernize this guy. But mm. but almost just in that, like, that introduction is whatever this... Like, I, I have memories of the setting, but I, I can't <laughs> quite remember the it's exact bond, location we're in. But that idea of, like, stuff is happening. It's being auto-tortured in North Korea to freaking Madonna. Oh, yeah. Oh, I know it's to Madonna. <laughs> oh, Trust God, me, that, that bit had not, had not escaped my memory. <laughs> um, it was more, oh. I couldn't remember which, con- which uh, country. It was North Korea. Yeah. So, yeah, the film ends with uh, spooky ghosts, the, <laughs> the ark flying up and the lid landing perfectly on it. Uh, <laughs> the, even, the, even the poor camera that, that the Nazis brought along got, 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 got exploded. Most, yeah. uh, and the, the American army have the, the box and... Well, they have the ark and the box that contains the ark. And we see the, that brilliant shot at the end of the film yeah. of just a little old man pushing the crate in and amongst all the other crates. That definitely spots. did not spark any conspiracy theories at all. No. no. Nope, none of them. It, it definitely never got associated with Area 51 until 20 years odd later Ooh. when they made a reference to Area 51 with the Ark of the Covenant. But it, but it looks... Um, 
it's such a great end to the film. Yeah. Mm. And it almost feels a bit like that trick that was obviously picked up by things like the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Yeah. It feels like, oh, there's something bigger happening here, mm. potentially. And yeah, I, I really enjoyed it. I mean, we're still looking at the, that sort of scene now frozen on the screen. And mm. I think, yeah, it, it 100% makes you go, oh, it makes sense that you made a sequel and that yeah. you were given... But even like because there was somewhere to go, the sheer scale of that uh, painted map, that map painting, where mm. it's just like we know the physical dimensions of this box, and then you look at how impossibly large this, and you're there going, "Holy crap! What else have they got stored?" It's, yeah, it, it's you're very much genius. It's like the end of Seven. You're just screaming, "What's in the box?" What's in the <laughs> everything that's in well, there. I think that tiny one in the corner is Gwyneth Paltrow's head. Yeah, so. how dare you, sir? <laughs> Uh, Root. <laughs> would you guys like some trivia about Indiana Jones? Yes, please. I probably know most of this, but uh, I, I was there was one I really can't wait. If you don't bring this up, um, dysentery. Okay, keep keep it in your back pocket because yep. because we'll see if it comes up. Um, all of this trivia is sourced from IMDb, so if it's not true, don't blame me. <laughs> the first bit of trivia: most of the body blow sounds were created by hitting a pile of leather jackets with a baseball bat. That tracks. Yeah. Um, I, I was listening out for that, being aware mm. of this, and I, I did find the the sound effects in the action sequences were really striking, um, both literally, I guess, and 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 as as an audience member, just just I, I found myself really captivated by the sound design in this film. I think it was designed by Ben Burt, who also worked mm. on the Star Wars films. The legend goes that he actually created all these sound effects for Raiders of the Lost Ark. Didn't want them to be copied by any other movie, so apparently he burnt the originals, and then for subsequent movies he had to kind of recreate all the all the sounds for later movies, mm. which probably works quite well if you then get to make them with yeah. the, the equipment that you then have, so mm, that it all yeah. fits together. Um, but that sound, like I was sitting now that you said that, I'm like, yeah, I have heard that sound before. Yeah. That's the sound of throwing a baseball bat into a kit bag. Yeah. yeah. Yep. <laughs> and yeah, I, I just thought it was really, really well done. And mm. also, while we're on sound, uh, John John Williams did the score. Good yeah. old, good old Johnny Williams. Uh, it's bloody good. It's, it's real good. <laughs> it's it's Hon- honestly, it's not my favorite, but it's it's fantastic. Mm. Yeah, just the just and like it's that, so that, iconic. That theme, that that bit of the theme tune, just the <laughs> like the way that was interlaced, but without it being the full theme for a lot of it, was mm. just yeah. superb. Really, just oh, John Williams never die. No. John Williams, you do beautiful scene work, even though we're not always listening out for it. Yeah, it's always, it's always. There. It, well, that's a good. Uh, that's actually some good sound design theory and scores. Yeah. It actually enhances the scene and not distracts. Mm. While filming the snake scene inside the Well of Souls, a python bit first assistant director David Tomblin's hand and wouldn't let go. Tomblin calmly asked someone to grab the python, which was still attached, by the tail and whip it so that the snap would send a wave up the snake's body and force it to let go. A stagehand did just that. The python released its bite from Tomblin and he got the medical attention he needed. The python was not injured. Damn. I still don't like David yeah. Noodles. Yep. Yeah, I, I, I agree with you on that one. Yep. Yeah, that, um... yep. During filming in Tunisia, everyone in the cast and crew got sick. With yep. the exception of Steven Spielberg. Yep. Uh, it is thought that he avoided illness by eating the only food he brought with him, a lot of cans of SpaghettiOs. <laughs> I like that. That, that feels... Like that's, shall that's we, the, uh, shall the... we bring up the specific dysentery bit of trivia? Oh, I mean, absolutely. So, the one of the most iconic moments in this entire film is the standoff between Indiana Jones and the... Yeah, the sword guy with the... Um, God, what's it called? The scimitar. Yeah. 
And he's doing, that was actually supposed to be a prolonged like three day shoot with like all choreography and bows and things. And it's like going to be like this five to 10 minute sequence. Harrison Ford was just like, I, he had like been up like days with that, you know, with dysentery. He was so tired. The look on his face, that really haggard look was real. He was just like, can I just shoot him? And they're like, yeah. And so they're like, yeah. And it's like one of the most iconic pieces of cinema. Because it is the correct thing that Indiana Jones would have <laughs> yes. done in that yeah. moment. Like It is. And, and it I, gets brought back up in Temple of Doom. Yeah. And I think it's really interesting as well. Uh, it's probably a good You'll choice. You'll notice it. <laughs> it's probably a good choice because um, the, the conditions in filming in Tunisia were... Terrible. were real hot yeah. they were, it was very uncomfortable for everyone they all had the runs um, except for you know uh, bloody doomsday prepper Spielberg sitting there with his <laughs> cans of SpaghettiOs um, hey always yeah. prepared true everyone but, is replaceable on a set <laughs> that's, that's true yeah you kind of need Spielberg those enough. people who do you know you guys do improv and stuff like that mm. it, it was such a good character moment as well so it's like it makes so much sense and dude we really need another action sequence in a part of the movie that was already kind of action filled actually just to quickly harp on improv um, we didn't talk about that improv scene yes oh yeah well it's it's gonna come up okay shortly. well then we'll, I, I will hold yeah, the yeah. dysentery <laughs> thing is one of the most interesting Good. things about yes. this movie yeah. um, the out of control airplane actually ran over Harrison Ford's knee yes uh, tearing a ligament in his left leg yeah. luckily for him the heat had turned the rubbers that had turned the rubber tyres <laughs> soft <laughs> So it did not crush the bone. Bone, yeah. Rather than submit to Tunisian healthcare, Ford wrapped his knee in ice and carried on. And it wouldn't be the last time uh, he got injured by a plane. <laughs> no, no. But yeah, he um, ligament in the knee. That is not a good one. No, no, no. As an ex-netball player, no, it's not. <laughs> mm. Uh, Harrison Ford actually outran the boulder in the opening scene because the scene was shot from five different angles on two occasions each. He had to do it ten times. Um, he was he was a fit man. Cardio day. Yeah, yeah, Cause, yeah. Because it was um, I think it was just a big polystyrene carved ball. It wasn't even that heavy. It was just mm. you know, yeah, just it, for it, safety reasons. Because if he did hit Harrison Ford, yeah, the movie he would be dead, and they wouldn't have a star. Yeah, but I mean, it looked effective. It like, did. It's it, it is great. It's just like ah, oh, I love it. I don't know if you got this on the trivia, but there has been there was a bunch of kids in America this is a few decades ago they decided to re remake uh, Raiders of the Lost Ark scene for scene in with just like a home like a home camera and yeah they pretty much made the big rubber ball no not rubber ball the big uh, polystyrene ball mm. and everything and it, there's a documentary all about it and I think one of those kids was um, ended up uh, trying to think of saying I think it's Lee, Lee Winnell mm. or was one of the Saw guys right so there you go. Cool. It's, it's, it, this movie inspires filmmakers. Mm. Steven Spielberg and Melissa Matheson wrote a script during shooting breaks on the location of this film. Matheson was there to visit her husband, Harrison Ford, and Spielberg uh, dictated an idea to her for a story he was having. That script would eventually become E.T. the Extraterrestrial. <laughs> I did actually know. That's one of the ones I did know, but that's, okay. a, that's the wonderful benefits of trivia nights yeah. and mm. trivia hosting. Is I had no yeah. idea. Yeah. Yeah. That's, yeah, nice to know. Has E.T. come up or not? I can't remember. We haven't done E.T. Wow. Yet. The monkey raising his paw and saying in his own language, Heil Hitler, <laughs> was thought up by George Lucas and is one of Steven Spielberg's two favourite scenes. In the video <laughs> box set, he says the other scene is the where doesn't it hurt scene. Yeah. So, I'm, I'm sorry, Kate. It's fine. Um, Spielberg cancelled. 
I mean, look, it's it's just I think I different people's perspectives. Yeah. yeah. He and also might like it because I don't know the spaghettios were very nice that day. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, it could just be... I mean, I will say I agree with him about about the tiny Nazi but monkey. They're on a set, so they probably one in Tunisia as well. Yeah. <laughs> In Empire Magazine, Frank Marshall said that they got the monkey to do the salute by putting a grape on a fishing pole and getting the monkey to reach for the grape, which was dangling just out of camera angle. Uh, This took about 50 takes before it actually looked like a Nazi salute. Voice actor Frank Welker provided the chattering sounds for the monkey, including the Zeke Heil-like chirp that the monkey gives, uh, and Welker would of course go on to provide the chatter for another famous monkey, Abu, from Disney's Aladdin. But fully enough, not Optimus Prime because he's Megatron. Yeah, mm. That's right. Yeah. I mean, wait, after because I think one of you said that yeah. at that during that, and I was, and then hearing the monkey, I was like, oh yeah, yeah it is up. <laughs> I, I did not know that coming into this. So mm. yeah, that was that was I cool. Liked it. Although the Nazis speak German in many scenes, most of the lines were dubbed for the German version of the film because the actor spoke very bad German <laughs> <laughs> with very strong American accents. Yes, they yeah. do. And some of the lines were simply wrong. Yes. So. Yeah. Um, Yes, uh, that, that, yeah, I, I could see that happening. Although that said, I think a really important thing for um, your your fantasy Nazi villain, I'm going to call it, like not your Schindler's <laughs> List, your this sort of film, yeah. is the jawline that yeah. the sort of head Nazi officer had. Yeah. Ooh, boy, that was a good, like, bad guy jawline. Yeah. yeah. I mean, you also need a good stereotypically German accent as opposed to an actual yeah. German accent, which I think is what they have in yeah. a bunch of things. They, they were considering this for an American audience. Yeah. yeah. That's it. To create the sound of the heavy lid of the Ark being slid open, sound designer Ben Burt uh, recorded him moving the lid off his toilet system. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Practical effects. Yeah. I forgot about that one. We love them. <laughs> the Well of Souls sequence was filmed on a set previously used for the Overlook Hotel from The Shining. Oh. So there were some residual ookie bookies left ah. over. Oh, I forgot to point at the Star Wars reference. Oh, the C3PO R2D2 yeah. rendering? There, yeah. There's hieroglyphics. Yeah. 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 No, it's not, visible it's not... in some scenes and in some of the wide shots. Mm. The models used for the German U boats were rented from the production company that was making Das Boot at the same time. <laughs> the company, however, had forgotten to tell the crew of Das Boot, who were surprised to find one of their models was suddenly missing. <laughs> So they were like, oh, we, we're just going to borrow your submarine. Is that okay? Yeah. Hey, hang on a second. No, no one told us. Wow. Where did I park that thing? Yeah. <laughs> uh, George Lucas made what was at the time an unusual deal for this film. you got to watch out for George and his film mm-hmm. deals. Um, the studio financed the film's entire $18 million budget. In exchange, Lucas would own over 40% of the film and collect almost half of the profits after the studio grossed a certain amount. Hmm. It turned Hmm. out to be very lucrative for Lucas. Uh, Paramount executive Michael Eisner said that he felt the script for the film was one of the best that he had ever read. Hmm. Um, But yeah, Lucas, he, he knows how to make money. And sometimes how to make films, which is like, that's a deadly combination. Well, one, one out of four is not bad. Oh, he... <laughs> American I, Graffiti is good. I'm like, joking. I meant, yeah. sorry, I meant to say one out of six. Uh, sorry. Hang on. One, two. I'm trying to do math and I can't. Yeah. Because three moves, two moves before Star Wars, four, so yes, yeah, six, yeah. Yeah. It, it's like... Yeah. We won't do maths. <laughs> like maths. Yeah. Um, irrelevant sentence. Yeah. Get out of here, numbers. Uh, oh, no. <laughs> During the Well of Souls scene, snake handler Stephen Edge, great name, uh, served as the double for Marion's legs. 
According to Edge, Karen Allen's stunt double refused to stand in amongst all the snakes. Fair. Yeah, yeah, fair enough. Uh, Spielberg offered Stephen Edge uh, the chance by asking if he was willing to shave his legs and put on a dress. For the scene in which Indy is face-to-face with a hooded cobra, Edge says snake handlers introduced the cobra to uh, Hood with a toy rabbit held out just with a toy rabbit held just out of frame. Uh, Edge noted that unlike Indiana, Harrison Ford is not afraid of snakes. It's a really good it's acting. Good acting, yeah. But yeah, I just like the fact that at certain points in that film, it's it's Stephen Edge, uh, snake handler, who's shaved his legs and thrown on a dress. Just and some heels. Yeah, yeah. Oh, sorry, a heel. A heel, yeah. Great commitment. <laughs> and uh, I completely forgot about it and did not notice that the... No, 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 I didn't no, notice. I didn't yeah. notice that one. To achieve the sound of thousands of snakes slithering, Ben Burt stuck his fingers into a cheese casserole. <laughs> all, the, all the spaghettios were eaten. Yeah. <laughs> this was augmented by applying wet sponges to the grip tape on a skateboard. <laughs> that I'd buy. That's yeah. fair. But like... <laughs> I love Foley artists yeah. so I do. much. I have so much respect for Foley artists, but sometimes my brain's like... Oh. How do I make thousands of snakes and then someone just serves him a particularly wet piece of casserole and he goes, <laughs> no. hang on. No, he was at the mess hall with Spielberg and just like... Ah. <laughs> uh, producers limited the on-screen blood from gunshots during the truck chase by using fine red dust instead of liquid fake blood. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, the only red dust available for the squibs was cayenne pepper, which caused a lot of suffering for the stunt. <laughs> oh, oh, no. <laughs> no. Yeah. Yeah. Indy being dragged under and then out behind the moving truck is a tribute to Yakima Kanut's famous stunt from John Ford's stagecoach back in 1939. In fact, it was a stunt that stuntman Terry Leonard had failed to pull off the year before in The Legend of the Lone Ranger. Mm. He was thrilled at the chance of having another shot at it, but only agreed to do it if his friend and colleague, Glenn Randall Jr., was driving the truck. The truck was specially constructed to be farther off the ground than normal to allow clearance for Indiana Jones to pass underneath safely, and the centre of the road was also dug out. Mm. In great movie stunts, Raiders of the Lost Ark, we see the camera... Uh, slight that the camera was set at 20 frames per second instead of the traditional 24. In other words, the shots were done in fast motion, so the truck was not really moving as fast as depicted on screen. I did wonder about that. Mm. That that was I was going to ask whether that was done. Mm. This is one of those stunts that Adam Savage has always wanted to do, but in the Discovery, the producer of uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Beyond and Discovery, were just like going, "No way are we letting you mm. get under a bloody moving car, yeah. you maniac!" Yeah, and I mean, it does. Like, I, I was looking at it, being like, "That feels higher." Yeah, I don't yeah. know if it is higher, or yeah. if it's just that's the way that yeah. trucks were. Well, apparently mm. Nazis are bigger than uh, Indiana Jones and go, and then that's why they go underneath the tires. Mm. Um, he's wh- just he failed his dex check. <laughs> he did, yeah. <laughs> Harrison Ford was actually dragged behind the truck for some of the shots and Mm -hmm. did bruise his ribs doing so. Uh, When asked if he was worried, Ford quipped, no, if it was really dangerous, they would have filmed more of the film first. (laughs) (laughs) So, Sure, that's how that works. Thinking about other film injuries like broken toes on by kicking things. Or every Jackie Chan film. Or from around the same time, the the tragedy that happened to Vic Morrow. But that was on like Buster, wasn't it? It was um, like not even like a major stunt. Mm. Actors considered for the role of Indiana Jones. Okay. Uh, We're not saying would they have been better, we're just saying would they have done a good job. Mm. There's one very infamous one, but go on. Yeah. Uh, Christopher Guest. 
Oh, no. no. Not the same. Not no. the same. I like Christopher Guest. Not Indiana Jones. Okay. Too, too, too eccentric. That's okay. I'm sorry, Chris. Uh, you didn't get the part. You'll have to just leave stick, now. Just I, stick I think to if, if that's the indie you like, that's the style of indie you want. That's not what yeah. you'd get. Uh, Sam Elliott. Ooh. I could see that. I would have taken comfort in that. Yeah. Um, yeah. But yeah. That's absolutely spot perfect. Well done, <laughs> David Hasselhoff. Uh, <laughs> no, but I want to see it. And uh, the very famous example, Tom Selleck. Yeah. Uh, now, he. Uh, Back when it was called Indiana Smith. Yeah. I think he could have done it. I think Selleck could have done it. I I don't know, though, that at the time he would have been the right choice. Mm. I think he's almost too... Too much of a known entity at that point to be... he was... Was it second year of Magnum P.I. at the uh, He actually hadn't started filming for Magnum at that point. Yeah, but he had been cast or something like so that. So Tom yeah. Selleck was Spielberg's second choice after Harrison Ford. Okay. And George Lucas was initially objecting because mm. obviously he'd already used Harrison for American Graffiti and for the two Star Wars films. And was like, you know, he, he basically didn't want what he called a Bobby, where obviously Scorsese always yeah. uses Robert De Niro. Yeah. Um, so... Lucas was leaning towards Selleck, uh, but Selleck was not able to take the role because uh, he had co- he was committed to Magnum PI, which yeah. had begun filming yeah. the 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 same year, nineteen eighty. Yeah. I couldn't yeah. remember if it was the first year or the second. Okay, year. but the series did not go into production until Raiders filming had wrapped. Uh, Selleck was in fact in Hawaii waiting for the series <laughs> to start, as the final sequence to be filmed, the opening sequence, was also being shot in Hawaii. <laughs> Magnum P.I. did an episode called Magnum P.I. Legend of the Lost Art in 1988, which parodied Raiders of the Lost Art, complete with hat, whip, and booby traps. Needless to say, if Selleck had played the role, um, he would have kept the mustache. Selleck did also star in a Raiders ripoff during this time period, The High Road to China. Because mm. this also inspired like a few knockoffs. In, like one of, the same, one of the inspirations for Indiana Jones was the hero Alan Quatermain. Yeah. And there's that really kind of bad Alan Quatermain movie around at the same time as probably the Selleck era, uh, that mm. Selleck episode. Mm. According to the documentary Dangerous Days, Making Blade Runner from 2007, Harrison Ford's performance as Indiana Jones in this film was so good that mere excerpts from before it was released in cinemas persuaded the makers of Blade Runner to cast him as Rick Deckard. Previously, Dustin Hoffman was considered the frontrunner for Blade Runner. Oh, that would have been a way different film. I was going to say, that would be massively a different film. Yeah. Yeah. So, but yeah, apparently this got him the Blade Runner job, so Mm. good stuff. Uh, Spielberg said that he loved the melting head effect, calling (laughs) it the most impressive effect he'd ever seen at the time. Um, It was pretty cool. I think it is, it is a great, I think it is a great shot at a at the perfect time to have a shot like that. So that was a technique good. that got lost. People didn't know for the longest time what, how they did that. It's actually different uh, types of paraffin wax and oh, stuff. So you, yeah, and they, they've sped and, it up? Yeah, it is sped up. Yeah. But they've recently done a... Recon- you know, people, fans have studied this thing and mm. actually reconstructed it. And it's on YouTube, I think. So yeah, yeah. they're now showing like, okay, this is how you set the wax and you do this so you mm. can get the different layers of it. That's the problem is because... If they'd used like the same waxes, it would just all melt in one stuff, but they wanted it staged. Yeah, you need different temperature waxes mm. in order yeah. to have them melt at different it's points. So it's science. Good. Oh, good science. <laughs> yeah. Um, so the science is on the behind the scenes. Mm. 
Much of the scene between Karen Allen's Marion Ravenwood and Paul Freeman's René Belloc <laughs> was improvised. Yeah. Uh, all they were given instruction-wise uh, was that they had to make sure that Marion was in the dress by the end of the scene. And so, yeah, they let the two actors improvise it. Um, they, you know, worked in the drinking game, which I thought was good. Mm. And it looked like they had a bit of fun. Yeah, I think it. Um, it is part of the film where she feels the most... Like, she goes back to feeling the most badass yeah. Yeah. as she has as at the start I, I for like that the, very short scene. Yeah. And the I'm detail like, yes. hiding the knife as well as a thing that, mm. like, it's fairly obvious when you see them close, but it's just that nice little bit of subterfuge. And also that sort of backing up to leave thing. Like, there's there's a lot of nice little bits in it that I'm yeah. like, ah, yeah. I see original her, good. Yeah. It's like a nice little crest of hill back up and... And then yeah. back down we go. Uh, Steven Spielberg originally wanted somebody else to play Salah. Uh, it wasn't John Reese davis It was Danny DeVito. Oh, God. Oh, yeah, I forgot about that. Ah, uh, ooh, mm, no. Oh. Mm. Da- Danny DeVito was set for the role, but had to drop out because uh, of conflicts with the TV show Taxi. Taxi yeah, yeah, as you say, I, I, have a, I have a lot of time for what Danny DeVito does, but uh, I, I can't see it necessarily. I don't no. think it would have been as... Fun. Yeah, him it singing might have been a bit too farcical. Him singing yeah. Gilbert and Sullivan as he walks away from the boat. I mean, that I'd buy. But, yeah. Um, oh, you know, him in the in the temple with all the snakes. <laughs> I'd love to have seen that. Yeah. I don't know if I'd have bought him lifting the ark out with Indy. But no. Yeah, they would have probably had to do that differently. <laughs> probably just him going, Watch out, Indy. These are dangerous motherfuckers. <laughs> and also, I don't know that his relationship with. Karen Allen would have been as good either. No, no. Like, I think those two had a good rapport for the bits that that was really needed. Mm. And I'll find a bit of trivia does relate to John Rhys-Davis as well. In a deleted scene where Salah is confronted by a Nazi soldier, John Rhys-Davis, who was suffering from cholera at the time, was required to bend down. Yeah. Unfortunately, this prompted the very sick Rhys-Davis to soil himself. <laughs> Yeah, because I think that's the scene that explains why... Well, because no, you see him dragging the rope away, but I think it's the scene where it explains where he's actually um, got, like, bed sheets and the flag. So and the new the pants. Nazi flag. Yeah, he's wearing new trousers. Yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> Kate, you're, um, you're taking some time to process this. I enjoy that on too many levels. It's, mm. I'm just, I'm just yeah. saving that for my own brain. Th- this, this movie is a goldmine of trivia. Yeah, I mean, mm. you said, I think, that you only got halfway through the potential There was a lot, this. and I only have so many hours in the day I can dedicate to uh, movie trivia, and it turns out it's not enough to get through all no, the stuff. No, that's fair. I might have to go and uh, read the rest myself. At, yeah, uh, well, it's all there at imdb.com. So, right. oh, before, we, before, oh, yes. we, before we finish, you know I love my present. I love to bring things. Yes. For mm-hmm. this. So I provided the Blu-rays for this. Yes, mm-hmm. you did. Thank you. So, I thought... As a gift, I do have the Indiana Jones collection. Oh. On DVD, because I no longer have it, and now I'm on Blu-ray. But, to help you with yours... <laughs> this, is where, this is where the slight problem of me not it's, owning a it, DVD player is going to come That's okay, <laughs> because there's one behind this curtain. Keep <laughs> uh, me if you want. I'm just cool. trying to get rid of down for my collection. But yeah, uh, I figured... I want to get rid of these because I've got my Blu-rays. For, for and those playing along, we have just been handed DVD copies. Like, of, yeah, entire of, collections. Yeah. Like, so that one, 
it's okay. I'm sorry I didn't get you the Crystal Skull one because that's actually part of my Crystal Skull box set with the actual Crystal Skull mini replica. It's, it's fine. Yeah. <laughs> Excellent. Uh, I, I wanted to wait till the end because just in case you're like, this is the best movie or this is the most crap movie ever, so you can do whatever you want. But Excellent. yeah, go ahead. That, that's for yours. That's donated. Oh. Donate to the cause. Pass it on, whatever you Thank want. Thank you very much. Uh, you know what? I'm going to hand it off to this little old man who's going to wheel it into yeah. my DVD <laughs> line. Yeah. I, I didn't have time to make the little box yeah. for it and the stamp that says US property with the painted number. Yeah. <laughs> it's okay. We've got Top Man looking after this film. What? Yeah. Who? Top Man. <laughs> so, all that remains, and thank you very much for that, Simon. Mm, uh, all no that worries. remains for us to do is to score the film. Hey, Kate. Yeah. First time watching the yeah. first of these. What are you giving Raiders of the Lost Ark out of 10? Hmm. Um, when I watch it again, yes. Which means that automatically it's above h- halfway. Because okay. otherwise, <laughs> yeah. if, if it's not a dumpster fire, we've, we've hit five at a minute. we're halfway there. Um, I think we're probably at like... I'll give it a seven. Okay. I'll give it a seven danger noodles out of ten. Mm. <laughs> Flaming danger noodles out of ten. Yeah. Flaming danger noodles yeah. out of ten, yeah. I think I think that's fair. Yeah. Uh, what about yourself, Sai? Funny enough, I was actually going to say seven sadistic coat hangers out of ten. Because yeah, yeah, as much as I I was coming into this thinking an eight, mm. but I must wish I was watching it. Going, it has aged a little bit poorly. I do really enjoy it. It's got some great moments, but yeah, it, it is dated a wee bit. And mm. I think seven. It's not the best movie. It's not the most perfect movie. But seven is strong. Mm. Yeah, I, I'm going to absolutely agree with both of you. I feel as though that th- there is still some stuff here to enjoy. Um, mm. And I think it's it's definitely worth a watch. I'm very glad that we did. Yeah. yeah. Um, and I think even though there are issues with um, the way certain things are portrayed, and even just, it's quite grainy in a lot of parts. Like, yeah, like it's, I it's, that. Yeah, like it's, some of the image fidelity really hasn't um, survived that well, which is a shame, but... Yeah. I, I think it's still a good film. It's definitely worth a watch. So I'm going to give it uh, seven flies eaten by Balot. <laughs> oh my God, it was so good. <laughs> just when that fly got near the lip and then it just disappears oh. into his mouth and he doesn't break <laughs> delivery. And I'm just like... I was just like, I'm so impressed. Uh, shout out to Paul Freeman who, who played Balok. Um, what commitment. What what absolute commitment. Well mm. done. <laughs> Legend. Uh, so that brings us to the end of this episode. Simon and Kate, thank you very much for joining me on this episode of the Cinema Catch-Up Club. Thank you for having us. I'm glad you guys enjoyed it. Yeah, thank you. I'll see you next week for the next one. Yeah, that's yeah. right. Because we've got another two episodes of Indie, baby. Uh, yeah, so for those of you listening in, Thank you very much. Uh, If you want to hear our thoughts on the next Indiana Jones film, The Temple of Doom, you can subscribe to this podcast to get that episode into your episode storage area. Whatever that's called. (laughs) Your your phone, probably. Your Uh, your ear holes. Yeah, your Mm. ear holes. Yeah, it'll be like in the temple. You'll be in the temple and we'll just push it out of one of the snake holes. The episode will just (laughs) slither out. Yeah, there's little there's little cobra holes. Don't we'll just the giant sugar cube. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. We'll, we'll we'll slip out an episode each and every week. <laughs> so uh, subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, or SoundCloud. Uh, we can also um, be found on Facebook. You can find us there and uh, follow us. Just search for the Cinema Catch Up Club. There's news and updates there. And hey, you throw us some dollars, we throw you some extra stuff. That's right, there's a Patreon. You throw us some dollars, uh, as little as a dollar a month, and in return, we're not going to Molina you. We are absolutely going to throw back things. We're going to throw back extra content. Uh, You'll get access to certain things early. It's a really fun place to be. Patreon.com forward slash CCUC podcast. But that's all for this week. So until next time, 
Goodbye. See ya. She mailed it to the Marx Brothers. You'll get that into it. Oh, yeah. You have been listening to a Thought Jar Productions podcast. For more information, please visit thoughtjarproductions.com.